This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Everybody, welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew, and we gotta get into it today, real fast, mm-hmm. fast double time because mm-hmm. it's Game of Thrones Day, y'all. It is Game of Thrones is back, the international hit TV show. I saw some stat that it has been 595 days since the most recent episode of Game of Thrones. I don't understand how that's possible. <laughs> I don't either. Which the and it's funny that we're talking about the nature of time because this week for the book podcast that we do where one of us reads a book that we've never read before and then tells the other person about it is about the time machine by H.G. Wells. It is funny because I also think that if we had a time machine, perhaps we'd be talking about Middlemarch, which we had hoped to talk about this yeah. week. <laughs> <laughs> we did change it. Yes. And I feel like we haven't done a scheduled change like that in a while, but I just I we were doing Twilight. I miscounted the number of pages that there were in Middlemarch to read. And so it just didn't happen. So that's getting bumped back into early June, May. Early May. May early, early May. May. Um, Which is fine because people, the overwhelming response online was great. Now more time for me, the listener, to read it so that I can have opinions about your opinions, which is honestly yeah. why we do the show. So. My short synopsis, if you were hoping for a hit of Middlemarch this week, my short synopsis so far is that nothing has happened, uh-huh. but some people are getting burned Great. pretty bad by George Eliot. Not by and dragons. Characters. By George Eliot. No, not by dragons or by Morlocks. Oh, dang. Like in the time machine. So, Craig, let me first ask you the question that is on everybody's mind. What's H.G. stand for? <laughs> oh, H.G. and H.G. Wells, the author of The Time Machine, stands for mm-hmm. Herbert George Wells. Now, as a kid, um, he was called Birdie. Not like Birdie, you know, like Bertie. Uh-huh. Um, so I think we can call him Birdie as much as we want to today. Birdie Wells. Birdie Wells. Um, and we have talked about him um, hundreds of episodes ago. We covered War of the Worlds. Man, I don't remember in the, that. In the before times. You need time machine for that, too. Hey. Um, but that was probably before we did uh, even half of what we do for the show now. So I will tell you that uh, Birdie was born in 1866, and he passed away in 1946. Uh, he is considered one of the fathers of science fiction, alongside Jules Verne and a couple other people from the 19th century. Um, he you know who the mothers of science fiction are, or was it still just men who are allowed to invent things? Mostly, mostly fathers. I think actually Mary <laughs> okay. Shelley, Mary Shelley, might be a pretty good example for a, a mother of science fiction because okay. she wrote Frankenstein, right? Um, and that's that's a pretty you could lump that in there with what we it's might call science-y. what you might call a scientific romance, uh, which is actually what we called the genre for a, several decades in the 19th century. Oh, really? Yes. Did that have anything to do with romance novels being seen as 
I don't know, less significant or am I just making stuff no, up? No, I think it's more akin to the way we use romance for like Shakespeare. Like it's like a kind of a, it's fanciful. It, ah, sure. um, the whole idea of a scientific romance is that you are taking like a, a single fantastic idea and then like putting it in the real world. That was like Wells's whole deal um, mm-hmm. is you take this like, one insight about what if this was different and then like everything else is is kind of realistic um my scientific romance is my favorite bands there it is the joke that's what it is that's Uh, the jokes are they on the warped tour this year (laughs) yeah i think they're gonna be at coachella (laughs) god i just i've been seeing photos of coachella online and music festivals just look so dirty how do you live anyone in a tent like that for so long anyway I don't want to be that dirty. Um, So when Birdie was a kid, uh, he broke his leg. um, Like most of us do when we're kids, we suffer injuries. And he spent his recovery time reading, which is, I think, biographer's credit to his career as a writer. Um, Man. Didn't Paul Newman also get into acting because he used to play football and he broke his leg or something? How many broken legs have diverted how many different careers? Well, that's interesting because Birdie's dad was a professional cricketer or cricketer. I'm not sure what you call it. Cricketeers. And he suffered a leg injury and then had to like exclusively be a shopkeeper and his earnings were insufficient. So Birdie went into apprenticeship with uh, like a drapery and then he was a chemist assistant and he started working as a teacher, got a scholarship to the normal school of science, whatever (laughs) that is, (laughs) uh, where he joined a debating society, um, which introduced him to kind of social reforms through things like the Fabian society, where a lot of like kind of modern ideas of socialism came from. Uh, and he started writing after that. He was teaching and writing in magazines and journals where he would eventually publish the things that became The Time Machine, uh, which was his first book in 1895. Yeah, and it was the short story that got published in that paper was uh, published in 1888. It was called The Chronic Argonauts, which is not as good of a name. Nope, not at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it too was concerned with a man who invented time traveling yes. and then went and traveled through time. There was a story... Uh, in America, I think, called The Clock That Went Backward that was published in 1881, which is some sort of, like, magical clock that rewinds time or something. Um, But people have kind of still credited H.G. Wells with the, like, sci-fi version of time travel. Yeah, The Clock That Went Backwards (laughs) is not a great name for a thing. Because, like, time travel fiction has been around, but up until then it was mostly, like, people fall asleep for long periods of time uh, or they go to Van Winkle. Yeah. Or, I mean, there's stuff all the way back in like in the Mahabharata and Japanese folktales where people like go to other worlds like heaven or whatever, and then come Mm -hmm. back and like hundreds of years have passed. So um, we have, we have Wells to thank for the idea of like, you could build a machine and travel through time, which I think will Um, the, the actual, phrase time machine to refer to a time traveling machine is, is like his from wells okay yeah. okay um other notes about him he that is my understanding from the research that i have done okay um i believe he was married twice once to his cousin isabel for a few nice. years 
And nice. then uh, I think he was married to a former student of his for several years. Oh, that's better. Yes. I was wondering what could be legal but worse than cousin. Correct. And I think former student is uh-huh. up there. Um, and then uh, his wife, his second wife, Jane, passed away. And both before and after her passing, he had affairs with numerous women after that. Uh, I don't think he married a third time. Um, and yeah, this was his, this style of scientific romance was like his deal. He had a rule about uh, that we talked about before where he would put in kind of what he called prosaic detail, um, but also have kind of rigorous adherence to whatever his scientific hypothesis was. Yeah, there are some, (laughs) (laughs) I think it's attempting to be rooted in science, but it's also rooted in the science of like 1895. Yeah. And so, um, he has this theory about the solar system that says planets must ultimately fall back one by one into the parent body. As these catastrophes occur, the sun will blaze with renewed energy, and it may be that some inner planet had suffered this fate. So his th- th- hypothesis being that planets spiral around the sun and fall into it, thus providing more sun kindling yeah. and keeping the sun That's going rad. For um, There's also a museum where he sees the skeleton of a brontosaurus. Well, okay. I mean, we let's not get carried and we away. Can, I don't think we have time in an hour no, podcast to do get not. into your whole thing about Brontosaurus. All of this to say is that he was, you know, in addition to being a chemist assistant, he was trained in biology. This is at a time when, like, Darwinism is new and informing a lot of scientific thought. So I think that informs most of his writing, at least his early writing. Um, he was Andrew. I found he was a game designer. Did you know? Oh, he was a gamer. He wrote uh, a the tape. G and HG Wells stands for gamer. <laughs> Herbert Gaming Wells, they called him. <laughs> he wrote the rules for a tabletop war game called Little Wars, <laughs> which he created in 1913. Uh, its full title is Little Wars, a game for boys from 12, 12 years of age to 150 and for that more intelligent sort of girl who likes boys' games and books. Gee whiz, buddy. That's a little war. You can go all find the, it the, online. It it's like there's PDFs of it. Uh, he basically thought it was like better than real war because you could just play it at home where it was safe. War, the home game. Is it like how does it relate to a risk or a diplomacy? Um, it is similar to. It's actually. I don't think it has uh, random chance the way that Risk does. You do like set up, you know, miniature men on an established battlefield. The one wrinkle- and the smarter kinds of women, I assume. Yes, sure, 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 sure. <laughs> um, I you do set up like a curtain in between your two forces, so your opponent can't like see what you're putting down. Right, Which, and fog of war, and then he he has like a toy cannon that like fires like sticks that knocks over men as like your primary mode of attack. Um, the thing I thought that was neat was like the latter part of the rule book is him just describing a sweet game he played, <laughs> like it's just him publishing a blog of the one fun play session that he had. I can't believe that he's the original gamer. He is the original Birdie Gamer Wells, the original gamer. The PewDiePie of his day. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> um, so that's that's HG. Okay, he play he invent he plays games and he's kind of sexist about it. Yeah, it feels like it hey. fits modern YouTuber culture. He is a YouTuber. You know, maybe he time traveled forward and invented YouTube. Ooh, that would be 
That would be very Bad problematic. Movie. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Birdie, what did you do? Um, Andrew, I have some other thoughts on time travel, but I kind of want to hear about the book first. So why, okay. don't, why don't we take a quick break and then we'll get to the book. Well, I can't believe it's been sec. It's been whole seconds. We traveled forward in time several seconds and we're here to make websites and tell you how. Craig, how do I make a website well, here in the future? Well, you should uh, check out our sponsor this week, Squarespace. Uh, they are here. They are a website that will help you make websites. Um, you can turn your cool idea, whether it be like your time travel blog or your blog about sweet old games that are vaguely sexist into a website. <laughs> um, or you can promote your like physical or online business or announce an upcoming event. We use Squarespace for our website, and I think both of us use Squarespace for our own wedding websites because we like the service so much. Um, why are they that good? we married it. <laughs> we did. We married it. We married Squarespace because it has beautiful templates created by world-class designers. Uh, they have powerful e-commerce functionality, which is important when you're selling all your wedding guest stuff. Um, <laughs> they have analytics that will help you grow in real time, built-in search engine optimization, and 24-7 award-winning customer support. Dang. Yeah. They got all that for you. So uh, if you are listening to this and you want to try out Squarespace, you need to go to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. Think it. Dream it. Make it. With Squarespace. Time travel. What about it? (laughs) <laughs> Let's talk about it. <laughs> so I was kind of surprised in this book when he's talking. So so it's formatted as a sort of frame narrative where this man who is only referred to as the time traveler is having a dinner party with his friends who also all are named by what they are. Okay. Um, like the uh, the provincial mayor <laughs> and the <laughs> editor. And I think there's a doctor up in there too. Um He's telling these guests at a dinner party, and it's being narrated by some other person who we don't know the name of, but he's telling us all about time travel and how there's four dimensions. Okay. Um, there is, there's, you know, length, there's breadth, there's thickness, and there's duration. I don't like the words for the four dimensions. <laughs> there are the three planes of space and then the plane of time. Sure, I understand that concept. And he even talks about how humanity is more free to move about in other planes and some planes than in others but you know we can devise contraptions that will help us travel more easily in the dimensions that we can't travel in ourselves so why not build some sort of time machine to help us get through time is this like the same way we get through the sky or the ground is this a dinner where he's raising venture capital like is that i don't think it is like a shark tank situation (laughs) he's just kind of talking to his pals okay okay about science and he gets very he's very into science he's very uh eager to be sharing his discoveries with people okay okay and is that we we you said we have no idea who the narr this initial narrator is. It's just like I was yeah, at the I time heard, traveler's house. It's one of those old timey books where some sometimes someone's name is mentioned and it's just a blank. Oh, those where it's like Mister S blank. Yeah, yes. you're, yeah. And I don't. If I had thought to do the research, <laughs> I would maybe understand why why people did that. But anyway, names aren't important. Okay. Um. So he's like, hey, come back to my house again tomorrow night. And we can and 
we can talk a little bit more about this concept. And so people come back to his house and he's not there. He's late to his own dinner party. And then suddenly he comes in through the door from his lab and he's all disheveled and he's got like soot in his hair and he looks haggard like he's just seen too much. And he's like, allow me to go get cleaned up and then eat some meat. And then I will tell you about what I did. Okay. Mm hmm. Are, is and anyone then, suspicious, and then perspect- or is this just like really rapid fire? Like, I mean, people people are like people don't really buy what's going on. <laughs> they don't they don't know whether to believe him or not. But so he comes back in. He gets all he gets dressed up. He gets he eats some meat, and then he starts telling the story. And then the perspective shifts to his story as relayed to the narrator. So classic frame narrative. Yeah. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. Um, you seem like you had a question. I just wanted to get the setup out. No, that's great. I was going to ask just off the jump, what exposure you have ever had to this story? Because I remember in high school, I saw the 2002 film that starred Guy Pierce as the time traveler. Um, it had the guy from those seven up commercials. Is that Orlando Jones? I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, The only seven up guy i ever need a school spot okay um it's and i don't know if orlando jones played cool no it was like the seven up yours campaign or whatever it was where it's like i don't remember this man we gotta travel through time and teach you 90s advertising was so neat because it all rested on like calling the people who you're trying to sell your stuff to like a big dumb idiot (laughs) buy our video games they'll make your head explode you dumb jerk Yeah. Uh, Drink this soda and you'll turn into a giant. Yes. Being a kid was awesome in the 90s. Um, Mm -hmm. So I saw that film. So I'm like, I have images in my head of what this story is, but I have no concept of what the book is. Yeah. Like I had seen at least parts of the first film, the 1960 version. Okay. Which um, which was pretty well received, and it won an Academy Award for special effects for Neat. some of the time lapse photography techniques that they oh of they course. used to show traveling through time. But yeah, I had a really clear memory of the sequence where one of the Morlocks, who are kind of the monstrous bad guys sure. to the extent that there are bad guys, um, like he kills one of them and then jumps on the time machine and then then there's this time lapse footage of this thing like rotting and falling apart oh as he he travels forward in time some more yeah so like that was that's an indelible image (laughs) from kid andrew's brain and it's most of what i remembered about the movie if i if i indeed saw any of the rest of it at all (laughs) so what when we yeah, I think the time machine, I was watching footage and I think the time machine in the movie says that it, it was manufactured by like H.G. Wells or like it's, it's the oh, factory where like the time a little, machine was yeah, made. Yeah, okay. there's the original gamer built this. Um, yeah, the original gamer was here. <laughs> I'm going to start calling him O.G. Wells. <laughs> um, Boy, okay. I kind of want to get into Age of Empires. This is unrelated, Ooh. but you're talking about war games and... There is a version of that that runs on new computers. Okay. Just, well, just think about it. If any of our fans are running an Age of Empires <laughs> clan or whatever, the second one, let's let us know. Not the first one. Um, Andrew, so what happens? Like, what does it jump to when it jumps to the time traveler's perspective? Like, what does he start telling us about? Um, I mean, you go right into 
the beginning of the adventure, which is him sitting in this contraption in his lab and he moves forward slightly in time. Like he watches his, his like cleaning person or his maid or whatever, like walk through the room really fast. And then suddenly he sees that he has traveled forward five hours in time. He's like, Oh, that's cool. And then he jams that handle Uh into forward mode and you get this whole passage that's just talking about what it looks like to be traveling through time. I'm afraid I cannot convey the peculiar sensations of time traveling. They are excessively unpleasant. There's a feeling exactly like that one has upon a switchback of a helpless headlong motion. I felt the same horrible anticipation, too, of an imminent smash. As I put on pace, night followed day like the flapping of a black wing. The dim suggestion of the laboratory seemed presently to fall away from me, and I saw the sun hopping swiftly across the sky, leaping at every minute and every minute marking a day. I suppose the laboratory had been destroyed and I had come into the open air. I had a dim impression of scaffolding, but I was already going too fast to be conscious of any moving things. The the slowest snail that ever crawled dashed by too fast for me. The twinkling succession of darkness and light was excessively painful to the eye. Then in the intermittent darkness, I saw the moon spinning swiftly through her quarters from new to full and had a faint glimpse of the circling stars. Presently, as I went on, still gaining velocity, the palpitation of night and day merged into one continuous grayness. The sky took on a wonderful deepness of blue, a splendid luminous color like that of early twilight. The jerking sun became a streak of fire, a brilliant arch in space, the moon a fainter fluctuating band, and I could see nothing of the stars save now and then a brighter circle flickering in the blue. Um, hmm. See, so it kind of puts you in the mind of time-lapse photography. Well, and it also, to me, reminds me a little bit of... of what I've read about Wells's work in general, especially the early sci-fi romance kind of stuff. That's like, it's about how in many ways man is very small in the face of larger natural forces. Uh Like war of the world is all about like, what if there was an outside invader that came and did this to us in the way that, you know, colonialism and stuff. But I think some of this fiction is like, what if this thing happened and we were powerless to do anything about, about it like mm-hmm. does he have a goal in traveling through time or just to see if he can do it i mean i think he just he has this theory that there's a fourth dimension of stuff and he wants to travel through it i think the implications are pretty clear like you could in theory in addition to finding out what does happen in the future you could find out what did happen in the past this book isn't really interested in any kind of like butterfly effect nonsense yes yes and i think it I think he makes that clear by only going forward in the future and not going backward into the past. Like there, there are more implications if you go back into the past, because then there's the opportunity for you to come back into the future and then everything's a little bit different in some nefarious way. Oh, twilight zone. Back to the future. (laughs) Why don't like the thing when I was reading about time travel fiction, there's a lot, you know, almost every article I read about time travel fiction has a paragraph at the bottom. That's like, what do you do about Hitler? And like, that is a trope of 20th century time travel. Yeah. I mean, this one, this one is saved because there was no Hitler. Yes, I guess. So that I don't know what you, what, what figure you use instead of Hitler. I don't know know if you're writing in 1895. It's like, what do you do about Napoleon? (laughs) Like maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, also, so it sounds like he literally never goes back before the invention of the machine is no. that true no interesting 
Yeah, huh. like he goes back to the time, like when he arrives back in the present day after all of his adventuring, it's like three hours later than when he started. So you never go back in time anywhere at all. Okay. Not even to like prevent yourself from creating the time machine, which I think is another like tropey sort of and that, that's way usually, that this genre is handled now sometimes. That's usually how it like closes the loop. Of like, oh, well, now I've gone back in time and undid the entire machine. The dumb thing that I did, yeah. Yeah. I think in the movie, I'm, I'm just Googled it to double check. Uh, which, which of them? The 2002 Guy Pierce film, which I think was Simon Wells. I don't know Wells. if this movie is the touchstone. That no, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> the director is actually HG, uh, O.G. Wells' great-grandson, Simon mm-hmm. Wells. Mm-hmm. Um Guy Pierce is motivated to invent the machine because a mugger kills his fiance. Oh wow! So, so there's it's like a Batman thing. Yeah, there's like a Batman. Man, Batman would be way interested if instead of I will become a wacko vigilante, I will invent time travel and save my parents. That's interesting. Hmm. So, and I think in the so film, that's what the new Joker movie is. That about. is what the new Joker movie is. Um, <laughs> I think in that film, it's one of those things where she's always supposed to die. So even though he goes back, like something else causes it to happen. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, but okay, so back to the yeah. Book. That and that kind of time travel is what you get in like that Star Trek episode where, yes, where that one. that one that one woman <laughs> needs to die or else America will never <laughs> enter World War II and everyone will lose. City on the edge of forever, I think. Okay. Anyway. So he's traveling forward through time. Yeah, so he's traveling forward through time, and he's picking up speed as he goes. And I found it. I found the year he chose to stop in really interesting because I have, like, I think about the last, like, two millennia. <laughs> like, what was happening in Zero? It was, like, Jesus... Like a like the Roman Empire, yeah, like Augustus. Emperor? Like it was, was it Augustus? It would have been Augustus, I believe. Okay. Um, pretty sure it was a Augu- no. It was I think Tiberius, maybe. Anyway, I don't know. I haven't looked it up. Uh, maybe you can look it up while I do this. I'm wondering what um, was going on. Okay, the Yellow Turban Rebellion in China wasn't until the 200 AD or CE, whatever nomenclature you're using. I don't know what was going on in year zero. <laughs> I think it was okay. It was Augustus. Because Jesus died when Tiberius was emperor. Okay, great. Great. Um, Glad we figured that out. (laughs) Anyway, point being, it's a long time, right? Like 2,000 years is a long time. Think of all the stuff that we only got in the last 10 years, like iPhones. And and better video games that H.G. Wells invented. He never could have imagined them, yeah. He never could have imagined the great games that we have today. Um, So he stops in the year 8. Hundred thousand, wait, eight hundred and two thousand seven hundred and one AD. That's a long way away. Because <laughs> yeah, if you you think about two thousand years or even like multiple thousands of years, there is still kind of a continuity that you can trace. Yes, like there is a continuity from like Roman times to now, and we're all still people, and stuff is way different. But like the species hasn't changed all that much on like an evolutionary scale. Yes. So this is, I think he's chosen to travel forward this far, and this plays into the Darwin thing you were talking about, because it does give him an opportunity to portray something that is so vastly different. It's not just like the Jetsons or (laughs) some advanced like dystopian human society. It is like something totally different. Okay. What has he invented? 
Or what what is Wells invented? What does the time traveler see? Um, so the time traveler meets these little like pale humanoid, but very like delicate and weak and simple seeming um creatures called the Eloy. Okay. Um in the nineteen sixty movie they are just pretty blondes who speak bad <laughs> English. But in the books they're like these delicate little creatures who don't speak any kind of language. They all eat these giant fruit that grows all over the place and they don't really want for anything. They don't seem to have any sort of societal structure or anything to speak of. Um no like machinery or like jobs or even like harvesting or planting, like kind of everything is just kind of provided for them. And, and so does his like time travel chair just like show up in their yeah, house? Yeah, it's just it's just there. No, it's <laughs> it stays in the same place because you're not moving in space. You're oh, moving in yes. time. Okay. So okay. it is where the lab was only eight hundred thousand years in the future. Years in the future. <laughs> Great. Apparently like the Thames is still there, just like it's it's in yeah. a different place, but it's still identifiable. As the Thames, sure. Okay. Um so can he like talk to these people he makes some effort and you know through shaking fruit at them and saying what he thinks it should be called or asking what it should be called he eventually gets a few words but the people don't seem interested in teaching him like they they just seem to have a hard time paying attention to anything for long enough okay to like teach him or even be that curious about him, even though he's clearly like a different kind of person or thing. Huh? Um, and so he start, you know, he, he starts to hypothesize pretty quickly about how humanity got from where it was in his time to where it is now. Like he, he assumes, okay, these guys are descendants of humanity, but obviously like humanity solved every one of its problems and in so doing, we kind of lost our edge and kind of devolved because we didn't have anything to worry about anymore. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's his that's his hypothesis. So, like, think about it. So this is pre-bomb, which I think informs a lot of, like, f- future sci-fi. It's, like, pre-atomic uh-huh. bomb. So in terms of, like, what humanity could do to itself is very different. It's also pre-World War I. Mm-hmm. So just, like, the horrors of humanity as we know them today, (laughs) are less prevalent. But also, Mm -hmm. like, he was an avowed socialist, or at least became one. And so it is interesting to me that he has, like, envisioned a society that wants for nothing, and yet everyone's kind of, like, boring and hanging around. Like, you take capitalism away, and everyone's just like, hey, let's eat this fruit, I guess. Or just, like, if you... you solve problems and get rid of need well necessity being the mother of invention sure, all. like sure. where does why would you do anything else like if you have satisfied all of your your basic needs and nobody's trying to take stuff from you then why don't you all just chill out and hang <laughs> well, that, okay. and get a cool hang on for thousands and thousands of years <laughs> Is everyone just like playing hacky sack and listening to Jack Johnson in the future? They aren't doing those exact things, but they're that's the spirit, I think, of the okay. of the society that he thinks he's like, seeing. It is not portrayed as being a like run down or fallen society. It's just they're just there. They're just doing their thing. No, like there there are some buildings that have decayed, but he kind of he puts that down to 
you know, maybe maybe the because there are no problems, like maybe people are reproducing less because they're feeling less oh. of a drive to like preserve the species or their own like personal bloodlines or whatever. And okay. so maybe things are just gradually sort of declining. Huh. All um, right. But so what comes along to challenge that perception is all these little Eloy guys are scared. Oh, of what? Um, Of the dark. Just like and nighttime? Sleep, yeah, of nighttime and of sleeping out in the dark and of sleeping alone. They all kind of sleep in big old heaps Just together. piles in buildings. of people? That's the way I visualize them based <laughs> on the book. But yeah, they just, they all sleep together. Okay, I mean, that's like, that's presumably what we did in like, you know, Cro-Magnon. Caveman times? Caveman times, yeah. <laughs> just a bunch of people in a cave just hanging yeah. out, mm-hmm. lumped together. <laughs> And he discovers that the reason why they do this is that there is something that comes out at night that these things are scared of. And mm. sometimes some of them disappear and nobody knows where they went. And because they don't really like care that no, it's not really a big deal for anybody, like even he's watching some of them play in a river and one of them gets like swept away and none of the others make any move to save her because they just like, don't care that much. They don't have a great like self-preservation instinct. Oh. Um, and so he saves her. I think her name is Weena or something. Okay. Um, <laughs> you let me just, let me just make absolutely sure that that weird thing is her name. Yeah. Her we, name. Weena. What's wrong with Weena? Nothing. You just, because you weren't sure, you said it so dismissively, even though I don't think you actually meant that. <laughs> it's like Weena. <laughs> so, like, that's interesting because he, that's Wells using, like, singling out a character from this otherwise kind of, like, faceless group of people. That's that's yeah. interesting. Okay. And so Weena sort of imprints on him. They don't have, like, a romantic or sexual relationship at sure. all. Um, but they do like she is kind of his companion from here until pretty close to the end of the of the story okay but um so what what the time traveler discovers that there's this other race also possibly probably descended from humans um they're called the morlocks they live underground in all this this like giant den of of machinery basically ooh and after exploring and getting a glimpse of them, like they really hate light, so they don't come out during the daytime. They're scared of like his matches that he is carried with him, and like he does, he doesn't have a lot of stuff with him. And I think it's because he assumed that the technology in the future would be so great that he would not need all oh, of that's his smart, yeah, like modern day conveniences like matches yeah why stuff. would i bring a lighter when i could go to the future and they probably have like laser vapes or something like yeah, i'm not laser gonna vapes i'm not gonna bring my own matches like an idiot i don't want to look uncool <laughs> in front of laser vape kids yeah that but i don't sense. think yeah he hadn't anticipated that society in some ways would have declined yes. or just changed very dramatically um and these morlocks are more like ranchers in that they do provide clothing and stuff for the Eloy, but they also like eat them. Oh, I didn't. Ooh. And so then he starts, then he starts thinking again, like, Oh, well that utopian thing, that utopian decline scenario that I came up with maybe isn't exactly right. Huh? So the situation that we are, 
I guess left to assume is true, or at least like this is the symbolism that Wells himself has chosen to present to us, the reader. Sure. Is that they're both, both races are like descended from humanity, but the Eloy represent kind of the, the overclass and the, the Morlocks represent an un, like a working class or an underclass who, yep. and, and in Wells' time, it was true that many laborers did literally do their labor like in dimly lit spaces or even underground. Yep. And so he extrapolates this out to, this is a race of creatures that physically cannot come above ground anymore. And then there's this other race of creatures that wanting nothing and needing nothing and not conflicting became very, very weak. And so now they are in a position where they can't do anything about it when the underclass like comes up to get their revenge. <laughs> and oh, I and, didn't um, know it's that- not even it's not even framed as a revenge thing. It's just like the the at some point the balance that had been struck where these people are living underground, these people are living above ground. Like he hypothesizes that the Morlocks like ran out of food at some point, and because the like aversion to cannibalism is not super deep seated in humanity there was not like i don't know they wouldn't have tried very many alternate things i guess before they resorted to eating these things that could not defend themselves i didn't realize that this was like a marxist class warfare fantasy it is a little bit it's not not that for sure um i did find that the the eloy is a Hebrew word. It's the plural of Elohim for lesser gods. Yeah, right, right, right. And then the Morlocks may we don't know for sure. Like it might come from a Canaanite god for child sacrifice. Wikipedia also said it was maybe a from the Scottish term Mollocks for miners or rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows? I don't know. It seems like a stretch, but what do I know? It's an it's a very evocative word. Like I've not like. Having been exposed to it once, I can associate it with this book like no problem, and like mm-hmm. the imagery of the Morlocks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, is he like? Does the book position the time traveler to do anything about this, or is it very like anthropological? Like he's learning, and then he's just hoping to get out of the situation. So it's it's anthropological. His his only interest though is is um. So shortly after he gets there, his time machine has been taken. And hidden somewhere. And it's like this this vault underneath this big Sphinx statue um, that he decides is the most like logical place for whoever has hidden his time machine to have hidden his time machine. Okay. And so his like he's not like, oh, I'm gonna fix this because what is there to fix? Like, what does one person do about a total societal shift like this? But his um immediate goal is, well, I gotta get back. Yeah, that makes um, sense. So, yeah, so he's like he's taken the levers. He's like unscrewed the levers basically and put them in his pockets so nobody else can use the time machine. But it has been dragged off and hidden in like this vault. And so he's got to get into this vault. And so he and Weena, just giving you a minute for Weena again. I'm good. If you need it. I'm you're good. good. Okay. All right. So him and Weena go to this big, like broken down sort of. I guess it's it, it functions as a museum. I don't know what it would have been originally. There's a lot of like rusted out machinery there, but this big sort of dilapidated museum where he's looking around for materials. Like he finds more matches because he'd run out of them. He finds some like flammable some camphor. What is that? 
It's just some like flammable old timey science chemical. I don't know. <laughs> he breaks off a lever that he says, "Oh, this this is a good enough mace to crack some skulls. This is a good weapon. Okay, and maybe okay. I can also use it as a crowbar to pry open this thing and get back in my time machine." Man, the original um, gamer playing Skyrim over here, like mm-hmm. stacking up his inventory. Yeah, he's just digging through wooden crates, like <laughs> digging up apples and. <laughs> Uh, but he does, you know, he, he discovers once he's gotten far enough into this big building that, hey, it does lead underground, which is where the Morlocks are. Okay. Okay. And so you don't want to go back under there. No. So he leaves the museum with his, with his new inventory. Um, and the, the, like Weena is not very physically fit, like cannot go super far. And the Morlocks are sort of pursuing him, so he starts a fire to distract them, which like turns into a big forest fire. Great, good job. And Weena disappears in that, and the Morlocks sort of disappear in that. Um, and he gets back to this this big Sphinx thing, and he discovers like the doors of this of this building hanging wide open because the Morlocks are like, well, he we're going to use his machine to lure him in there and then trap him, <laughs> not understanding that. The machine travels differently than that. And so he has a brief confrontation with the Morlocks where he almost gets killed or pulled off his machine, um, but he escapes. And he goes even further into the future and he sees, like he basically, he goes millions and millions of years into the future. I feel like it's like 30 million years or something like, like that. Basically like basically a long, long time. Dropping a brick on the on the gas pedal and just like hoping for the best. Yeah, it's it's a combination like getting away from things and also like what's the logical end of things or like, you know, his his scientific curiosity is is taking control of him again. Oh, so like okay. instead of instead of hitting the lever to go back, he decides to go further forward. Um there's apparently like a deleted passage that exists elsewhere about like him going forward long enough to find this other like sub race kangaroo people or something yeah like weird kangaroo people with little human hands (laughs) but that got cut from from this story so he just goes millions and millions of years into the future he witnesses sort of the last life on earth dying and like the sun keeps getting bigger and bigger and he's he's basically getting to the end of everything on earth huh like just watching the sun die or whatever. Yeah, and he just like and he sits there and he hangs out and is really cold and is having trouble breathing. And then he mashes back on the time machine and comes back so he can tell everyone his story. The book ends with the narrator, like the original narrator, coming back to talk to the time traveler again the next day. And the time traveler is like, Okay, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go for a quick jaunt on the time machine. I'll talk to you in a little bit. And he never comes back. It's been three years and he never came back. Oh gosh, where do you think and, he went? Um, I don't. The, the book sort of speculates that maybe he went forward to a like a recognizable time, but like good where he could like <laughs> hang out and be happy for the rest of forever. Uh huh. Like to the part where humanity had solved all of its problems, but before it lost its edge. I guess <laughs> I don't know, but maybe also his machine just broke and he got dead. Yeah, it seems like that is a real fear. That like this one machine could just have a a gear shift problem, and then mm-hmm. he is stuck in a crappy century sometime hence, 
Yeah, the end of the um of the nineteen sixty movie, I kind of like this is that you know they can't say if the time traveler will come back, but he has all the time in the world. <laughs> oh my god! Really? Roll credits. Nice. No. No, thank you. Um, I did find a note about another story, Andrew, from mm-hmm. in my time in my time travel research. In 1733, a dude wrote a story called Memoirs of the 20th Century, where a guardian angel sends back letters from the 1990s, <laughs> and which I made a note, presumably warning about the Clinton administration or something. Oh, no. <laughs> but it is interesting. So wow, the, political. Is there anything in the book about him like... He's not like warning the narrator. He's not like imparting lessons, right? He's just like, here's my story. Yeah, it's like he's making that broader point about the the working class versus the upper class. But he's not like the book doesn't end with like a and the moral of the story is don't dabble in God's domain or whatever. Like there's nothing, there is nothing direct like that. Well, and there's nothing about which you and I were talking earlier about like time travel fiction, having the like, well, we've got to destroy this technology because it's, it's like too messed up, which is kind of like a Faustian bargain. Yeah. Or like you go back in time and then everybody invents time machines and then the time stream all gets all screwed up and you inevitably just have to go back and kill yourself or whatever. So it doesn't happen. Yeah. This does not, but there's, there's none of that. This is like, what if we went 800,000 years in the future and the class struggle had become an evolutionary struggle Uh huh. is what it sounds like. Right. And what if because it's the future and I can just go back in time and undo everything if I want, it doesn't matter how many Morlocks I'd crush the skulls of (laughs) with my makeshift crowbar. Does he really kill a bunch of Morlocks? Yeah, he kills some Morlocks. They're coming after him. A regular Gordon Freeman with that crowbar, am I right? Mm -hmm. Wow. The original gamer is logged on again. (laughs) I guess like, what is, why is it? time trap like why did he why in why use time travel to explore this idea because it's like i don't i am struck by the fact that it seems very uninterested in some of the questions that we are used to from modern time travel fiction which is like we've also had another like 120 years of of like riffing on the form sure 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 so like why when when we we're used to like a back to the future model of like could you go back and like change a thing and what are the ramifications of that and and could you keep the life you had or not I, mean, um, I just think if you're if you're interested in if, i'm and this is just me projecting i sure, guess sure. onto onto hg wells but if you are interested in like darwin and in science and in socialism and this kind of stuff the like the focus point of your curiosity is almost always going to be on like stuff that hasn't happened yet. Right. Okay. Like I I feel like going back and like finding out who William Shakespeare's best friends with or something like that doesn't satisfy the same kinds of curiosities. Yes. Yes. As, as well seem to have. No, you're right. Yeah. That makes sense. And I think just, and, and if you're asking just like why time travel, why not? some kind of like alternate world or, or, or some other kind of allegorical thing. Like, 
I mean, we're still culturally culturally like obsessed with time travel. Yeah. Time travel is everywhere all the time, always. No, yes. Th- that's why I'm asking why is it just this like jump way forward and examine a problem? But yeah, I think you answered that because I think for what the genre has grown into is a lot more of like, how do we look to the past and what is our notion of memory or self if we consider the past? And this is much more like, Hey, let me look into the future and see what the world becomes. Yeah. And I don't know if, I don't I don't know if it can be said that we are more backward looking now than yeah, I don't we know were if we are necessarily. In, in like eighteen ninety five, but I do think we have at multiple levels like a sort of cultural and political obsession with like the good old days or we do. Like correcting things or regretting things rather than like looking forward yeah i found a um a brain pickings article and brain pickings is maria popova which is a great blog that folks should go check out if they haven't and she was writing about a book by james glyke called time travel i think it's called time travel where he talks about hg wells and like the creation of this whole genre and and thought um And he says, why do we need time travel when we already travel through space so far and fast? For history, for mystery, or nostalgia, for hope, to examine our potential and explore our memories, to counter regret for the life we lived, the only life, one dimension, beginning to end. Um, I think that is something that is very of the moment of like, we're in this like hyper nostalgic mode, which is like certainly accelerated by being able to record everything we do all the time. And so it's like, oh, Facebook it has a memory for a thing you did a year ago. Or Think like about there's it. this there's this whole cottage industry around making new fast computers accurately run software designed for old bad yes. computers. Uh, that's <laughs> like true. It's, it's facilitated by <laughs> technology because we have become, you know, since the advent of of at least the VCR, like possibly before that, but like now that preservation of stuff has become available for like the mass market and has become such a big component of yeah yeah, yeah culture yeah. like yeah i just think we're inherently maybe a little more focused on older stuff than we are on going forward which is, is i don't know we don't need to get all the way into it but yeah i think i wonder too if it's just like so much information is available to us at all times that it's hard to there's it feels like there's less blank space to fill in in the future well it's just like it's easier to watch the office for the fourth time than it is to go forth and discover a new show even with all the new shows that exist let me tell you like you know what it is you know what you're getting into yep that's very true what Um, are you gonna tell me no i was gonna i was just gonna i was agreeing with with my little andy rooney thing about yeah because you said that and i thought to a recent like weekend i spent with some friends where we spent all of our downtime just watching old episodes of the office yeah or like a compilation of all the grunting noises from home improvement which exists on youtube you know youtube is a form of time travel let's think about that Mm, no i'm good let's not actually (laughs) the only other the only other thing of note that i found when i was looking this up is there's apparently a separate subgenre of apocalyptic fiction called um 
called the dying earth genre. I saw that. Yes. Where it's not about, it's not about the bomb. It's not about like everybody blowing each other up from war or, or something, but just of the earth kind of just petering out, like things reaching a natural ish, logical ish conclusion uh-huh. and just wiping out instead of getting blown up. And it's kind of sad and interesting. Well, you have to think about that in like where a series of scientific discoveries in the in the 17th, 18th and 19th centuries being like, yeah, here's a bunch of stuff we didn't know about how the how the natural world works, which all of which imply that like whatever we've got going on is probably going to come to an end. <laughs> like <laughs> thing things cool, entropy exists, like there's all sorts of evolutionary forces that are going to change the way that we know the world. It wasn't just like made for us. It's not the garden of Eden. Like let's deal with that kind of stuff. And yeah, yeah, you're right. It is pre, it's not just like, Oh, we're going to nuke each other and then like travel into the future post nuke or something like that. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Andrew, if you could time travel to any period in time, when would you, travel to Ooh, i don't know like what what's my what's my focus like am i trying to change something or am i just trying to enjoy something i'll let you enjoy something what do you want to enjoy i guess i'd like to go back to the 1990s okay and what i kind of want to figure out is are what i perceive in my mind to be the good old days actually good old days Mm. or does everybody as they turn like 30 something just (laughs) innately sort of become inundated with like dread about the state of world affairs yeah oh that's good was everyone having a good time in the 90s or the go-go 80s like let's find Mm -hmm. out Ooh, the go-go 80s i would want to go back and see if shakespeare was maybe actually a bad actor like I think maybe he wasn't great at acting. Do you think that's why he wrote yes. plays? I, you know, those who can't write, I guess. Yeah, I read somewhere that maybe he played Hamlet's ghost, like the ghost Hamlet dad once. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he ever played like leads and stuff. So I would like to go back and heckle Shakespeare. I, I kind of feel like Shakespeare he would have to have almost like a, a Alfred Hitchcock or like a Stanley yes, sort of correct. thing where he just briefly appears in all of his plays, but he's never, he never stars. I want to know plays. what role Shakespeare played. That's why I want to go back in time. Okay. All right. Um, I do will probably take back some like modern accoutrement to make sure that my trip is not terrible. Right. Like soap. Soap, baby carrots, you know. Yeah, those are the two things that you just can't live without. I just don't want to eat dirty ground carrots in the past. I just don't want, like, I don't, who can eat a whole carrot? I want these big carrots. There's dirt all over it and stuff. So much carrot. Anyway, Andrew, thanks for sharing this book with me. You're welcome. And I look forward to hearing your thoughts on Middle March when you're ready to share them. Yeah, I we're going to travel forward in time at the normal rate. And by the time we get there, I will have finished Middlemarch. Okay. Um, if folks uh, enjoy the episode, you can write us an email about it at overduepod at gmail.com. You can also let us know about your time travel adventures on social media at twitter.com slash overduepod or facebook.com slash overduepod. It feels like many, many years since we talked about Twilight, but a lot of people 
even in the past seven days, have reached out to tell us about the episode, including Tyler Page, Marie, Ellen, Stephanie, Melissa, Ingrid, Holly, Trina, Hillary, Amy, Ronnie, Tom, Jake, Aaron, and many more. Thanks, y'all. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? They should go to OverduePodcast.com, where we got links to Apple Podcasts and Google Play and our RSS feed. You can subscribe to the show with any of those feeds and rate and review us. Let us know what you think. We've got a Patreon page at Patreon.com slash OverduePod. Please give us a little bit of money to help us pay for hosting and for books. Um, what else? Got a new listener page up there on OverduePodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, episodes that we are particularly enamored of. That's it. Go that's listen, and I think that's I think that's everything. Craig, what are you reading next week? If all goes according to plan, I am. If I don't get hurdled hundreds of thousands of years into the future, I will be here to talk about the lies of Locke Lamora by Scott Lynch. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we're going to be celebrating Children's Book Week with some fun books. I just got mine in the mail. Fungus the Boogeyman. Oh boy. I think you're going to be talking about dragon lo- dragons love dragons tacos. love tacos, I'm, which I I'm did pumped. not know about dragons. <laughs> I'm excited to find out more. Yeah, me too. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to our thing. We'll talk to you next week. Until then, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.